0: Well, thank you. Have a seat. Jill, I now understand the difference between a violin and a fiddle. That was beautiful. Thank you for that. I want you to think back, and you may have to think back as far as when you were as old as some of these VBSers up here. Think back to your first big swimming dive. Your first big leap. For some of you, it was off the low dive. For some, it was off the high dive. For some, it was a rope swing that went out and landed in a river. For others, it was that lake platform that you jumped off of and landed in usually that dirty, murky looking water in the lake. For some of you, you were skidding down a water slide on your back to that small little (laughs) pool waiting for you at the end. But I want you to think back. Remember your first dive, that experience of that first leap. I was an absolute horrible swimmer growing up. In fact, I probably couldn't even be classified as a swimmer. I failed swimming lessons at least twice, but it could have been three or four times because I've like blocked out that whole part of my childhood. I was an embarrassment to my mother. Um, I was the kid that stood on way far away from the pool and wouldn't even go into the pool during swimming lessons. Other times I would hold on to the edge, screaming and kicking at the swim instructors who I was convinced was trying to drown me. Uh, sometimes I would hide from my mom so I couldn't even go to swimming lessons altogether. I had two great hiding places. Uh, I don't know that she found either one of them. And I remember one time I actually brought like a cheese sandwich and potato chips with me because you had to hide for like two hours if you weren't going to go to swim lessons. And so anyway, I failed miserably as a kid and I never learned how to swim. And then junior high hit and our family joined kind of the the swim club in our hometown and Um, A lot of my friends and our neighborhood friends and stuff were there and three things happened that first junior high summer one All my buddies were there my baseball and basketball buddies and my neighborhood buddies They were all there and they were swimming around not in the three-foot section where I like to hang out But they were in the five-foot area And they're swimming around and playing ball and dunking each other and doing what boys do So that was the one thing that happened the second thing is that there were junior high girls there swimming that I never really had noticed before. But now I very much did notice the girls. And they were inviting me to come in and swim and goof around and play with all my buddies and stuff too. And then the third thing is that all of them, both my buddies and the girls, were going to the diving boards quite frequently to jump in. So you could see I was in quite a pickle. Right? And as a guy that wants to be a gamer and in the life of what's going on, I had to make a decision. So I jumped into that five foot area and for a couple days I began flailing my arms and kicking and two days I kind of taught myself how to swim, at least good enough to hang out with them. And then on that third day it was time that everyone got out of the pool and they all started heading to the diving board. And I was kind of like playing it cool. You know, I'm like, you know, I'll just hang out over here. You guys go ahead. They're like, no, 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 we're all going. Come on, you're going, you're going. And so we're making our way over to the diving board, and I'm rapidly trying to put the plan, the escape plan, or some kind of plan together. So I realize I'm not going to get out of it. So my plan is just to go to the low dive, do the little jump off the side, and quickly swim over to the edge, because, again, it's 12 feet, and I just learned how to swim two days ago, over to that little eight-foot stretch of water so I could climb out. Well, as we're going over, they're like, oh, you've never... You've never gone off the diving board before? Oh, you've got to go off the high dive, right? And everyone's in the high dive, and they push me to the front of the whole pack, and now I'm the first one going up, and I'm pretty sure it was about 100 feet high, our high dive. We go up to the top, and now I'm up there. I'm standing up there looking at everybody down below, and I'm thinking, I am going to die. I received Christ probably about a year before that. And so I figured in about 10 seconds, I'm cashing in on good, and I'm going to be with Jesus forever. And so I go, and I'm like, in the moment of glory, I'm like, well, I just can't chicken out and do the little jump off the side. Like, I need to actually go off this thing. So I gallop, and I jump, and I shoot myself into the air. And in that moment, it was like the matrix. Everything stopped. And in slow motion, I see my arms waving like this, and then I see my feet that are like flying in front of me as I'm gaining further ground out that way. And then it all came back to life when I felt the most excruciating pain I have ever felt. And I back smacked right into the deep end of the floor. Yeah, that's what everybody, that's that horrible sound and everyone goes, what? Ooh, right? You just took me right back to that moment again. Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, and I got out and anyway, I was off. And running but that was my big dive i want you to remember your first big dive all right remember those feelings those experiences all that was going on um, because there's that heart pounding anticipation and wonder can you really do it right there's the the flying leap when you find yourself fully committed because you're flying through the air then there's the plunge right there's the fall where you're just kind of helplessly heading towards that water, but it's also exhilarating at the same time. And then there's the splash, when all your senses immediately come back to life. And at that moment, you experience either joy and victory, because you did it. Or perhaps pain, like I did, because you belly-smacked or belly-flopped, back-smacked, belly-flopped into the water. Or it was the reality that the water is icy cold and you almost go into shock, even though your friends tell you it's warm over there in the deep end. But you made it. Hold on to these images, these feelings, these experiences. And I want you to stand as we read a passage of Scripture, our passage for today out of Romans 6, where Apostle Paul is talking about the ultimate never-to-be-same-again dive. Listen to what Paul says. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, Paul says. By no means. We are those who have died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we are no longer to be slaves of sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive, fully alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and have a seat. Apostle Paul is speaking to people who profess to be followers of Jesus. They have heard the gospel. They have made a commitment and movement toward Christ and baptism. They are Christians, as we would say. But Paul has identified something that is amiss in their lives. And his desire for them individually and his desire for them as a church is that they would live fully alive in Christ so Paul, in his genius, does what he often does. He raises a question to expose the problem and, he, and to expose why the church is not swimming fully alive in the waters of God's grace. And so he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace can increase? Or in, as my translation, as I would translate it, do you really think you can go on living the old way, how you were before you knew Jesus? Do you think you can even live it up, maybe live those harmful patterns of life even more? Now that you have maybe a little Jesus in your heart thinking that you're off the hook with God, what does Paul say to them? No, you can't live like that. And what the Paul does, as he so often does, he cuts to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul teaches us that there is a definitive break in the life of a follower of Jesus, a break between the old life You know, the natural life, the the sinful nature, the life in Adam. He uses all of these images throughout the New Testament. There's a difference between that and the new life that's found in Christ. There is an ending and there is a beginning. There is a death to what was in the past and there is a new birth. There is life in Christ to both the present and what is to come in the future. Paul tells us that what fuels us now... It's not the power of sin, the grip of sin that maybe used to hold us back, that pulled us down, that tried to drown us. But now it's that power of Christ, the power of his grace and righteousness alive in us. That's why Paul says you can't live in the old ways. You can't live in sin anymore because it just doesn't work like that. It's like trying to put water in a car and expecting it to go. Like there's a different fuel system now. And our fuel system is Christ. Do you see the difference? Do you see the distinction? I think the dilemma for Paul is that knowing this, he was wondering why this church and why these folks were continuing to live so deep in their sin. Because obviously they had missed something in the gospel that should have broken that old life and ushered them into a new and different way of living, a different reality. (laughs) And I think we track with Paul. I think we know What he's saying. I think we even believe it at times. But if we were going to be really honest, or at least even as I was preparing this week, honest with myself, I said, you know, God, I'm seeing a little too much of myself, maybe in Romans chapter six. Right? And if we have to be really honest, perhaps we live that dual life where there's some things we haven't quite let go of, but yet we still want to live kind of that fully alive life in Christ. And Paul says, it's not a both and. One has to die, the other has to flourish and live. The writer of Hebrews would tell us to let go of the side of the pool. Quit kicking and screaming, right? Get into the water. You can't live over here anymore and expect to be in the fresh water of life. It says, throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus The author, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writing of Hebrews is encouraging us to take the dive deeply into Christ and let go of all that is behind us. And I got me thinking, do you ever wonder why sin is such an issue for us? Why it's such a problem? Why is its pull always at us? And, you know, I'm not a hugely complex person. I think there's perhaps two main reasons. One, I think there's a sense of pleasure or something attractive about sin. I once heard the definition of sin is this, the abuse of things made good. The abuse of things may good. And I think so often why while, while sin is so attractive, why we continue to sometimes feed it, it's because it's rooted in something that's good. But in that goodness, we tweak it or twist it or take it beyond its borders, beyond its intentions, perhaps pervert it, abuse it in some way, that we take it beyond its good intentions, and then it becomes sinful. But because it's rooted in something good that God has created, right? We, we're drawn to that, <clears throat> but then we tend to take over Right, and all of a sudden, it's not of God anymore; it's of us, and that always leads to unhealthy outcomes. Uh, We just—I went to a concert this week at Ravinia, and I've been there a few times, and I forgot—it's—it's kind of—it's a—it's a a cool place. But I had apparently um, forgotten that we were going to a concert up until just a couple days ago, and had something else on my calendar. Even though my wife, Samantha, assured me that she told me about the. Conference. I guess I was in one of those, like, not listening to my spouse modes that day when she told me. So anyway, we go to this conference, or concert, and uh, I I don't even know exactly who we're seeing. And, uh, And then when we get there and I find out who the bands are, I'm like, oh, I love them. I love this song, this song, this song. They're like, no, that's Coldplay. That's an entirely different group. And I'm like, then who are we seeing? Like, what is this all about? So anyway, One Republic is the closing band, and they've got a hit song called Counting Stars. Um, but as we're kind of in that back row, we had lawn seats, so I couldn't even see the stage. But they're singing this song, and the words are just kind of rising up, almost like I can see them. And they're kind of shouting out at me, Eric, this is what our message is all about. And one of the lines in the song <clears throat> says this It says, I feel something so right by doing the wrong thing. And I feel something so wrong by doing the right thing. I couldn't lie, couldn't lie, couldn't lie. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. And I just thought, that's a great confession. Because I think sometimes the very things that are killing us, sometimes we feel like they're making us feel alive. But in reality, they're not. <clears throat> that's the first thing. Sometimes sin just seems attractive and even pleasurable for a moment. But the second thing is that sin just has a way of gripping and entangling itself to our lives like a cancer or an addiction. Uh, It begins to grow slowly, sometimes rapidly, until it takes that which is meant to thrive and to flourish, and it actually kills it. And we believe a lie. We believe a lie when we think that we can manage our sin or that we can live in sin and still experience this fully alive life in God. Paul battled with this. This is what I love about Paul, that he is kind of a real guy. If you kept reading into Romans chapter 7, you would see Paul having this moment where it's almost like you have the little angel on one side, the little demon. He's having this self-conversation back and forth where he's saying, golly, the things I want to do, I can't seem to do. The things I don't want to do, these are the things I keep on doing. He says, I'm a mess. At one point he says, what a wretched man I am. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, that he can be saved from that old life, that old life. So can you identify with what Paul is saying? Can you identify with the writer of Hebrews and that sense that we just have to throw off, cast off those things that are entangling us? Can you identify with One Republic, the band, and kind of their confession that sometimes we feel so good doing the wrong thing? I know I can. So your first homework assignment this week is to do this. Do some self-examination. Think about the things that are weighing you down, that are pulling you down. Think of the things that are causing stress and strife and conflict in your life. Think about where your mind continually, continuously wanders, what, what consumes your thoughts. And in those places, you're going to find perhaps some good things that have been twisted to now that aren't so good. Perhaps there are some areas of sin that God's calling us to let go of. The cast off, right, so that we can live fully alive in Christ. Our, um, in the message translation at the end of that Romans passage we just read, it says this It says, That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full, t- full time, dive in, in other words into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny anymore. You're living in the freedom of God. Those are good words. So far, we've kind of looked at the negative side of what Paul is talking about as with the issue of sin. But there's a positive side to this as well. Because when we realize that we are joined to Christ and the power of his resurrection and his life then his power increasingly becomes our operating system. And when that becomes our operating system, then our life begins to speak. And our words and deeds become a witness. And all of a sudden, we're not doing backsmackers anymore. We're doing 10.0 dives. And people aren't going, ooh. They're celebrating because they're seeing and witnessing a grace filled life. Colossians 3:17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." If we live like that, I think we would give thanks, but I think it, the people around us begin thanking God and even giving Him praise, because they're going to see the life of Christ being lived out through us. But life doesn't always present itself well. Sometimes it shocks us with the cold realities of its own water. And I think it's even in those tough times, maybe the most pressing and challenging times, that our voice and our life has the opportunity to provide the loudest witness. The other lectionary passages allude to this. The prophet Jeremiah, I kind of dub him as the drama queen of the Old Testament. He's a little, my, he's just a very dramatic guy. But listen to what he says. He says, So the word of the Lord has brought insult and reproach on me all day. Right? He's saying he's getting beat down for his faith, essentially. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more of his name, his word is in me, in my heart, like a fire, a fire that is shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. You hear the life of God in Jeremiah saying, it's so burning hot inside of me, like even though it's bringing reproach, I cannot hold it in. I need to, it, needs to, it needs out. Because God's word, his life is meant to go out forth from us. How often do we shrink back from those opportunities to provide a witness verbally or with our life? Sometimes, maybe in a dramatic way, but maybe in a very subtle way. But I just think, golly, I need more of that kind of fire burning deep in my bones. It just has to come out. That's no other choice to come out. That's the resurrected life that wants to be fully alive in me. When you're fully alive, we naturally acknowledge God. Jesus says in Matthew 10, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others whoever's going to stay back away from the pool, whoever's going to scream and hold on to the side and not enter in, Jesus says, I'm going to disown before my Father in heaven. When we are letting go of the edge of the pool, when we're taking that leap of faith, when we're embracing the life that is within us, we find ourselves alive. And we find our life giving witness to God, even when the back smacks and the belly flops and the icy cold waters of life find us throughout the morning there has been a reality that's kind of undergirded and makes possible everything we've been talking about and Paul names it in Romans chapter 6 verse 5 we just read it he says for if we have been what united with him in a death like his we will certainly also be with him in a resurrection like him his united with Christ union with Christ It's a bit of a mystery. I'm not quite sure I fully understand it, but I know it's our reality. I know it's our reality. And I think sometimes even our language of inviting Jesus into my heart, while that's true, I wonder if that imagery is not even big enough for what Jesus and God are actually doing. Because it's not a little bit of Jesus or Jesus in like a little piece of me. Our life becomes infused Jesus entangles himself into our life to where we cannot be separated. His death and resurrection becomes our death and resurrection. And our death and resurrection splashes into his life, all consumed deep into the waters. That's what Paul is saying, baptism is referring to. Christ is your life. And we are fully alive, fully alive when we live from that union with him. And if we miss that point, perhaps we miss the whole idea of what it means to even be a follower of Jesus in the first place. Because following Jesus is really just letting Jesus lead us where we go. My prayer for each of you, the prayer for myself, is that we would dare to dive into the waters of Christ's life. That we would feel the thrill and the fear of the leap and the fall, the plummet, and the splash of His grace. That we would experience life in, a, in the deep end of the pool. That can only be found when you dive in, letting go of the side, actually engaging Christ, who is your life. If you want to experience the full life, the fully alive life, I would suggest four things one, commit. Commit yourself to make Jesus Lord, master of every area of your life. Easier said than done, I know. But we love Jesus as Savior, getting us into heaven when we die. Except Jesus and Paul are both saying it's not about that. It's about Jesus as Lord who will take you, who you will experience heaven. But it starts now, and it's forever. It's Jesus as Lord of everything, because it's his life in us. Second, commit yourself to the core essential practices that nurture our union with Christ. When I would say there's at least three. Worship like we're doing, reading your Bible and cultivating a regular life of prayer. You know, in the sports world, we often say it doesn't take a great athlete to hustle. It doesn't take a super Christian to worship, to engage Scripture, and to pray to God. We just have to do those things if we want to cultivate that union and deepen it with Christ. Third, commit yourself to journeying with a few others in a in a group, small group of Some kind, And we've got a lot of them here, and you may already have that. But you need partners for the journey who will encourage you and challenge you to go deeper and who you can encourage and challenge to go deeper as well. Our faith has never been designed to be a privatized act. It's always an act of community. So do it with others. And fourth, commit your life to being a witness. Word and deed, good times and bad. If we would only do that, we would create kingdom waves that wouldn't change only your life, but it would change the life of all of those at the pool where God would have us swim. Would you pray with me? Father, we do just want to give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you that you have joined your life to ours. And it is a mystery. And we confess sometimes we... Don't fully understand it, but it is our reality. God, help us to cast off, to throw off those things that are entangling us, that are not of you. And God, give us the courage to dive in, in an ever deeper way, into your grace and into your life, that it may be a witness and life-changing for not just ourselves, but for all of those that you would have us encounter. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.